You're listening to episode 239. Cody's the head coach of AFL Team Canada and managing partner at NTSQ Sports Group and the author of Where Others Won't, taking people innovation from the locker room into the boardroom and is also host of the awesome podcast Where Others Won't, where he talks to people like Adam Grant, Claude Silver, Whitney Johnson about leadership and I had the unbelievable honor of going to Cody's home in Toronto when I was visiting there and I got a chance to interview him and we I think really made like a one hour and 20 minute really conversational masterpiece but I'll let you be the judge of that. While you're listening to this if anything sticks out definitely screenshot it and put it up on your favorite social media network text it to a friend Share what you learned to others because that is actually how you learn. Without further ado, episode 239 with Cody Royal. So Cody, the first question... The first question that I always ask my guests is, how do you spend your time here on planet Earth? I love this question. I've been looking forward to answering it. (laughs) How do I spend my time on planet Earth? I spend my time looking for things that people aren't doing or aren't thinking about. Hmm. So if you think about some of the influences in, in my life from a literature perspective, your Malcolm Gladwell's, your Dan Pink's, Adam Grant, guys that point out kind of common topics, Mm. but then say, you should also be thinking about this, or here's a different perspective that you might not have considered. That really appealed to me. And then I've kind of modeled that Mm. in the rest of my life. And so my brand is called Where Others Won't. And it's, it's around that idea too, is, is, you know, organizations and teams can get ahead by doing things that others won't. And so... I spend my time when I'm looking at blogs, when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm looking for what's different Mm. rather than what's the same. I'm not interested in being ordinary Mm. in my life. That's my my life goal is Mm. to be extraordinary Mm. or an extraordinary version of myself. And so, yeah, I've I've really narrowed my focus to to look into that kind of stuff now. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. You have a great, great brand where others won't. I remember when you reached out to me to go on your podcast and you were telling me, you know, you have, um, you have somebody that like helps you with the studio. You guys got really great audio quality. I took a look at your guests. You've had on people like Adam Grant, uh, Claude Silver, David Meltzer, a ton of awesome, awesome people. And after I went on your podcast, after I remember, I was just like, wait, like this is, this is definitely a different podcast interview than the, 99 that I've done um and and then after I just you know followed you and took a look like just kept on following what you're doing and I kept on seeing you were like similar to me you were always trying to like hit that next thing and I saw that and that's it's actually very rare especially in like this this space of podcasting where it seems like a ton of people have podcasts and really um you are really like the cream of the crop and, and that's why I'm here and, and that's why you're here. And so, um, and so yeah, man. And so I guess the first question is, 
you know, people like us, we don't, um, we don't, I guess we sort of do stumble into these things by accident, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is usually very, very um, intentional. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the first question is, is there a story or is there a moment or is there an event behind like the crystallization of like where others won't and what you're going to be doing here on planet Earth for like the next coming years, if that makes sense? Yeah, the... Where Others Won't idea started as a book and that's what the podcast came off the back of. And that moment was really, I guess, what you would call my exit from the corporate world. I spent the first 10 years of my career in corporate and worked a whole different range of jobs from sales and then got into writing within the corporate world. And, mm. and so it was just this collision of all these different things. And my, how old are you? Sorry. I'm 35 now. Okay. This is probably about three years ago. Okay. I'm yeah. 32. Pretty recent. But it was that crystallization point was, yeah, a collision of a bunch of ideas that I already had, um, some frustrations with the workplace and, and how cultures evolve and teams are built, plus my own experience. I coach Canada's national Aussie rules football team. So I've spent... 10 or 15 years in that realm as well. And all these things came together. Mm. And then I realized that uh, this whole ecosystem could become a book. Mm. And as soon as I, I had the framework in my head, I was like, I'm doing it. Mm. I'm just going to dive straight into this. I don't know how mm. to write a book, mm. but I'm going to go and figure it out and do it. And so that process took about 18 months, but that was the catalyst for everything you've seen subsequently. Mm. But yeah, it was just one of those random, like walking down the street moments and Mm. the light bulb goes off and like, that's it. Mm. That's the one. Mm. And yeah, from there it's, it's kind of been downhill skiing a little bit because now once you overcome writing a book, Mm. everything else is kind of easy. Like Mm. putting together a podcast is super easy against the process of, of, putting a book together Mm. I see I see and I I love that uh, uh, what you just said about walking down the street and it's like what I think about all the time is the people that because I think I think to a degree everybody has like those light bulb moments or everybody has an idea but I always think about the people who say okay you know screw it I'm gonna go do this like you said versus like oh yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and it never happens. Or, yeah. oh, that's so stupid. Or they go talk to somebody about it and that person says, oh, well, what if, you know, this happens or what if that happens? And they either talk themselves or have somebody else talk them out of it. Um, and so like the next question I have for you is, were you always this kind of guy? Like when you were a kid, what, like, what were you interested in? Were you sort of always seeking like, what you just said at the beginning of like high performance sort of growing like what other people don't or was there like a transition in your life where you shifted into that mode almost or was it a slow gradual build up no i definitely wasn't like this as a kid mm. i was definitely i'd call myself a homebody mm. so i i liked being at home on my own and and you know my dream was to become a, a football player in australia mm. and so i was just chasing that I didn't care about traveling or seeing what was what else was out there in the world. I had none of those aspirations. I was just very uh, single focused. And then 
you know, I decided when I was 24 to pick up, you know, two suitcases and a bunch of money and, and move to Toronto. So I'm literally the other side of the world. And you learn a lot about yourself through that process. Um, moving countries and, and, you know, being away from family, there's no safety net. And so it's, if you need money, you know, sure, you can call mum and get her to wire your money. But at the end of the day, you, you got to fend for yourself. And, mm. and you know, I, I know your family has kind of that immigrant story as well. And, and it does develop a certain type of person. And, and it instills certain things in you that can be quite addictive. And, and I, know, I know Gary talks about this a lot as well. And, and I... I believe it's it's true. There's an extra hustle that um, kind of comes across you when you leave family and friends and you're out on your own. Mm. Whether it be my original book idea was around this that methodology when you're kind of traveling on your own and mm. how you take extra risks. Mm. Like you you go and ask the girl out in Starbucks mm. when you're in a foreign city, mm. but when you're in when you're in Boston or or I'm in Toronto. You know, you, you, you kind of don't do those things. Yeah, 100%. And so what I'm trying to describe is that, uh, the, yeah, that feeling of, uh, I guess, uncertainty and insecurity is what I've clued in on. And over the last 10 years since moving to Toronto, I've just taken more and more risks and moved further away from the person that I was when I was growing up. Hmm. Um, and... and yeah, now it's even more addictive. Like mm. now I'm like, how, how can I keep pushing this mm. and not be stupidly risky, right. but keep pushing myself from a development perspective and, and bringing others in, into it, you know, with me. So I come along on the journey. So mm. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And um, j- just for, to help my conceptualization. So like when you were, like when you were growing up in your adolescence from ages like zero to 18 do you have like a like a defining um moment or even like a major sort of uh, obstacle or problem so for example um i had a lot of problems but i, I would say like for me uh that one from eight, zero to 18 would definitely be anxiety 100 mm-hmm. percent. for some other people i've interviewed it's that um, you know, their, you know, their dad left when they were 12 or for some other people, it's, you know, they drank their first sip of alcohol when they were 13 and that led to addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for you, do you sort of like see anything as, as almost like, like not a chip on your shoulder, but was there like a, like a major sort of problem or obstacle that, that you faced during those times? Yeah. In, in hindsight, my dad left when I was two or three, so that definitely shaped me. But I don't. I think that's actually that has gotten worse for me as I've gotten older. As mm. I've gotten closer to parenthood age myself, mm. I've started to reflect on that more. But when I was, you know, zero through eighteen, I actually didn't really care. Yeah. Um, I'd say the thing for me was the humbling experience of being a really talented footballer and not being able to achieve my dream so you know in Australia there's a draft just like there is in most of the major North American sports and at 18 you go into the draft Mm. and so I'd represented my state at under 15 under 16 and under 18 level and then hadn't been drafted 
So it's a really humbling experience for an 18 year old who's only ever wanted to do one thing and uh, doesn't achieve that. And so I describe it as my life started at 18. I need to needed to figure out well, what university course do I take? What what am I interested in? Mm. And at that stage, it was nothing. And so that experience and going through that at 18 and and I'll be honest, I probably yeah I spent that 18 to 25. Um, time period trying to figure out what was going to replace mm. that in my life mm. and yeah then obviously I traveled at, at 24 25 so that started that process mm. but yeah really humbling experience and and you know probably a, a cocky brash 18 year old jock um, mm. who was you know um, that was that was who I was mm. in high school towards the end of high school and and then that all got taken away mm. and so then yeah you really rethink yourself and your place in the world and, and how you interact with people and um, so I'm really thankful for that experience yeah that's uh that's crazy um so the person that we're actually gonna be going to dinner with uh, Sam Dama he had like a similar experience where like that like he was playing soccer football uh his life and he was totally um like that was his entire life and then he had an injury and then that like woke him up and like that you know led him to doing what he's doing today and that's so interesting to think about and um i don't know who said this i think i might have read it in a in a book but it's almost like for some people when you're growing up for people that are like maybe born dedicated or just sort of cultivate a sense of um, like desire motivation and they are sort of on a mission and then whether something happens or it doesn't or it transitions it's almost like you wake up from like this childhood fantasy that like you've been creating and then you're like wait wait where am I (laughs) and then it's like you're in the complete unknown you have no idea um, what's going on. And so the, one of the questions I want to ask you is, you know, you just said the word, um, uh, jock. You, I think maybe it's just my perception, but you said it very interestingly, meaning in the sense of like, in hindsight now, did you sort of, um, like build your identity around being a jock? And then when you were no longer that, like, talk to me about the transition. Was it, painful how did you cope with it what did you do yeah looking back on it it's it's not something that i'm proud of but i i also acknowledge that it would have been really hard for me to get out of that environment you know australia in particular is is quite uh, masculine in terms of its um just the the upbringing that we have you know farmers and and sports people and and, and um, yeah, kind of having that shaken out of you, you know, as you kind of come out of your adolescence mm-hmm. was, was definitely a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've certainly learned a lot in terms of just particularly, you know, that quintessential, like how you treat people. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I was the best at that when I was growing up and, and, it came from that superiority complex of being one of the best 
Aussie rules players in the country at that time and, and what that does to you. And, and you see it in, in NCAA athletes and you see it in, you know, here, obviously we're sitting in Toronto, you know, hockey players here, they're, you know, lauded from the time they're 11, 12, 13 and they're told, they're in the newspaper and they're told that they're going to be the next best thing mm. in Canada and then, you know, they get drafted at 16 and so there's this process and you can see it happen over and over again and having been there, I'm just, I'm very cautious of that now. Mm. But um, again, the, the lesson for me has been to really reconsider and, and be intentional about or, or try to kind of undo how I treated people in the past and mm. make sure that that never happens again. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, I love that so much, man. And, uh, and like, you know, I find that um, uh, in, maybe intentionally, usually it's unintentionally or unconsciously, you know, when we're growing up, each person sort of begins to take a look at themselves in the world mm-hmm. and we sort of build like a, like an identity, almost like a mask for some people. It's a jock for someone else. It's like a, a nerd or a gamer or, a, um, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and that's so, so interesting, especially when somebody begins to like break down that mask because a ton of people are still in that mask yeah. or a ton of people, let's say they had a sort of a similar experience as you. And then now they have kids and now they're sort of trying to <laughs> vicariously live through their kids to, to, you know, achieve their fantasy, even though it's somebody else's life. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, that's super interesting. And so, you know, I, I was never really, a, I, I was never ever on a sports team was never athletic but I definitely did face a ton of success early on. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you did too. And at the moment, for at least for me, I sort of didn't, like, I didn't connect the dots. But now looking back at it, I, it was definitely good for me. But at the same time, it, it also got to my head. Mm-hmm. And, and Bill Gates has a great quote. And it's like, you know, success is, is a bad teacher. Failure is, is like where it's at or something like that. Abraham right. Lincoln has another quote is like, I'm not concerned if you have fallen. I am concerned if you arise. Right. And so that is like a super interesting conversation to have just about like facing early success, even though it, it may be earned and you put in your blood, sweat and tears into it, maybe unconsciously. And so I'm curious, like, how do you think about like that early success and like what it sort of did to your mind, maybe in a good or, or, or bad way? Or how do you think about that? If that makes sense. It's definitely shaped the code that you see now. And it's not just in terms of, yeah, being more thoughtful about my interactions with other people. There are things like that, yeah, the successes and failures and, and how you deal with them. And really the, that period of, you know, getting into writing professionally mm. and realizing that I was good at it and realizing that I liked it. And it was the one thing that I'd found since football that I can do 24 seven and enjoy mm. myself. Mm. But that only happened at, what did I say earlier? 32. Mm. So now there's a gap of, of 14 years between 18 and 32, where essentially I was floating and I would say failing. Mm. You know, when I moved to Toronto, I went from, you know, I was in human resources, in recruiting, I was making, you know, 80 grand in Australia. And then I went to working 
you know, in a phone store, mm. you know, in the Rogers Centre where they play baseball, selling phones for minimum wage to people. And so there's all these humbling experiences. And not that that's a failure, I've sort of a job, but it's, mm. it's another kind of step back and, and part of the rebuild. Mm. And now what it's done to me is that I am able to look past the failures completely. I don't even look at my podcast stats. I don't look at my, you know, who's reading what and, and all of my data and all that sort of stuff. Mm. I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of creating for myself. Mm. And I think it's that process of succeeding early and, mm. and, and looking at that in retrospect, then failing for a long time. Mm. And then, yeah, the cumulative effect is that now it's all for me and I'm just trying to create a book that I'm happy with and if other people do that's even better mm. or a podcast that I'm happy with or podcasts that people I want to talk to um, and I think that's all indicative of the, the past successes and failures mm. um, but it's taken a long time to learn that especially coming from a sports background mm. where there's two results win, mm. and, win and loss mm. And so you kind of mentally, at least, you are tied to winning mm. in inverted commas. Um, whereas now I'm kind of tied to trialing mm. and testing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you like you've almost seen like a like a like a like a simulation happen, right. and yeah. you can like um, not necessarily predict, but you just know. Like, you know, if the, if like this terrible thing has happened to me and like on the reverse, then if this thing ha- to me that I view as terrible is happening now, I'll probably survive because I made it last time. And the same thing works with, um, at least for me, like the successes. Like I remember when I was sort of drifting out of that sort of childhood success fantasy and then into a different, um, world, into a different life. Um, I definitely, um, almost sort of like thought of my previous success as um, sort of like evidence mm-hmm. to to build who I am. And it definitely gave me a bit of confidence to push a little bit more and actually try that thing because I'm somebody who didn't really have that confidence in the first place. Yeah. Um, and so that's, um, that's super interesting. And so you, so you end up moving to Toronto. Um, so dude, tell me how you became... Um, the head coach, the person that trains these people, because that seems very, very um, like that. That seems like a crazy leadership position, and also like working with people one on one. Yeah, it is. It that was part of that process of replacing, you know, I guess my my early success and the the long story in terms of how that all came about was essentially I fell out of love with the game Hmm. and I was in coaching in Australia when I was 23 and that kind of sparked or re-sparked my passion for Aussie rules and and then when I came over here I wanted to work with the best Canadian players and so these guys are you know it's amateur football but they've usually come out of university sports and, and are looking for an outlet to not have to play beer league or pick up basketball with their friends and and so they're still competitive so that makes it a little bit easier but just that that leadership position man like 
that's so addictive and it just suits everything you know i'm really cerebral yeah. in terms of how i think about things i can you know I, i've been in the seat that they're in as well in terms of you know trying to figure out the game and yeah. and get better at the same time and and so i can i can do the one-on-one stuff i i, I love the, the game planning and the building of the culture and yeah. and you know you you follow me on social media so you know that i'm big on on that and Mm. and how to build culture and mm. I'm intrigued by it and constantly learning mm. so it's definitely a big commitment but it's one of the most rewarding things and you know I don't have kids yet but the the big change for me the thing that I've noticed is I I always slept like a baby before playing a game and now as a mm. coach I don't sleep the night before a game because it's like having 24 children <laughs> And so everything's going through it. Have I prepared them well enough for mm. the game tomorrow? Have mm. did I do this? Did I tell this guy this? Did I? Mm. And so, yeah, it, it excites me that process. And and yeah, and again, I get to also be an operator in the world that that I'm in anyway. Mm. You know, I write and think about leadership and culture, and so I'm actually getting to do it. I'm mm. not just someone that's talking about it and. Mm interpreting other people's ideas mm. i've actually got it in action and I, I get to test little things out on <laughs> on my players as well <laughs> yeah I, I love that um I, like again obviously i don't i don't have kids but um uh I've, I've heard from a lot of parents that like when you do have kids or when you're in a position where you know you have a team or you know whether you're a boss and you have a a tight-knit uh, group of employees like it just sort of like from what I understand it like creates like this different part of your brain that's like an extension of Mm -hmm. your consciousness that Mm -hmm. is something that is like part of a feedback loop and it makes you almost think in a way that you've never thought before and that can swing good and you know bad as well Um, and so you know something that really really fascinates me and I've been like sort of recently fascinated by this is uh, sports psychology mm-hmm. and this has come from again me somebody never really being involved in sports to um, interviewing like professional basketball players and world Olympians and like being around them and seeing how they think mm-hmm. and seeing so many parallels as somebody who is not on an athletic team but is also involved in like business entrepreneurship growth the parallels between them is is um, it's so so fascinating. Like I remember when I was growing up, my dad told me like, obviously this isn't one hundred percent right, but um, <laughs> if you take a look at somebody who is um, successful on like a sports team, there may be a percentage that they also take that same mentality to other areas of their life and they're equally successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm just curious, like, this is a weird question, but how do you think about sports psychology and and just how it relates to like everyday real life? (laughs) That's how I, that's how I actually view the world. Hmm. And that's how I came to write my book was looking at the way things are done in sports so, you know, I looked at organizationally. It's a little bit differently to what you've just described mm-hmm. there, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to your point. But I looked at the way organizations run and, you know, you think about corporate 
and the way they recruit, lead, build culture and, you know, the high performance, like how they measure performance and, and metrics. I looked at all of those from a sports perspective and then compared them to how businesses do it. Mm. So talking of parallels, I, I see it as... Um, at the moment, what we do is we tend to look at sports people and think it, think about it through a motivational lens. Mm, right. I want us to break that out and go, we should actually be looking at sports from a much broader perspective. Mm. Like, how do these guys build these teams? Mm. Because I can tell you from my experience in corporate, they're not very good at it. So if there's an organization or a sport that we can look at and say, how do they do it? Mm. there's a parallel there and and so i i'm hoping to be that translator is mm. i'm i have you know my friends are coaches and general managers in the nba and the nfl and all these different places but to answer your question i mean it, it you're, you're exactly right mm. in terms of particularly the the mindset and the ability to deal with setbacks and the you know the the obvious ones goal setting all that sort mm. of stuff but i think it's actually deeper than that 100%. The, what athletes bring to the table and i've spoken to a lot of athletes as you have recently that are transitioning mm. and often what we do is we we put them in a sales role mm. because of those reasons you know they're motivated and they can hit targets mm. but there's a lot of athletes that they actually that's not what they're particularly good at mm. and they might be highly emotional and they might actually be better in something like HR for instance mm. where they might be in conflict resolution or they might be performance management and you know be the one to have some difficult conversations with people mm. so um, to answer your question in a very roundabout way the parallels between the two are huge mm. and i think they're more substantial than we currently think they are mm. Mm. and so once we can start to unpack mm. and actually you know place athletes in you know this this person's going to be an entrepreneur this person might be really good at detail so they might go into payroll department mm. or whatever it is mm. yeah i think i think we'll all be in a better place and and that transition will be easier for the athletes as well because that's mm. something that is a broken model right now. Mm. Mm. That's, uh, that's that's very interesting. Um, I, I think that I totally see your, your point about sort of like building sports teams to like building a team at a corporation or a company. And um, I don't want to assume, but I'm just curious, when you were sort of in your corporate days what were like 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 the big no-nos that you experienced that like you brought with you in your thinking today yeah the you know again coming from that coaching background it was very much around yeah who we recruit and how we recruit them was a big one for me and then how those teams are led so, you know, how do we bring people into our team that fit within the team hmm. and can help the team achieve its objectives? And I, I don't think that's done particularly well to this day for all the literature on it and all the discussion. Hmm. And I think I'm going to write about that next. Nice. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, from the leadership perspective, I, I don't think the right leaders are in the right positions. Hmm. 
And so it becomes really hard to change um, that ecosystem because of things like, you know, you, you can't remove people from, from big companies mm. um, if they're not performing. You know, there's you know, legislative frameworks around those people. So it becomes really hard. If you hire a bunch of the wrong leaders, they get stuck at the top for 20 years maybe. Oh, God. And so, uh, so that's an issue. And so, you know, um, that's part of the part of what I like to discuss now is yeah how do we get the right people in the right seats both in in leadership and you know well, the workers mm. um, because then we'll we'll be on a much better path and, and companies you know everything should improve mm. everyone should be happier everyone the mental health should should go up we should you know you'd actually like going to work yeah and I know we're getting into Simon Sinek territory here mm. with you know everyone wake up wanting to do what they want to do but um, yeah, I, I see a lot of that stemming from recruitment. Hmm. Uh, interesting question here. So a few answers or questions ago, you said that um, you, you, you fell out of, out of love from, from your thing. And then you just brought up um, Simon Sinek and sort of like doing what you love. I'm curious, like, how do you think about actually doing something that you truly love versus like a, a more, uh, I don't want to say pleasure, but like a more sort of um, surface level um, position. Meaning, for example, you know, let's say that you're not really interested in, you know, managing people, for example, mm -hmm. but you know, if you get like this certain executive role at this company then you'll have you know x y and z benefits and you're just going to do it but you think that you love that aspect and so i'm just curious like how do you think about sort of like true passion even if it exists or not and 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 then like how it sort of fades and how it transitions if if you view it that way yeah that's a it's a really tough one because i yeah. i i don't my experience is that passion comes and goes and and even you know i would kind of challenge simon sinek's main idea around you having one why 100 I, I think that as your life experience grows that should change mm. and I, I think it should be okay for you to have a couple of different whys but yeah i, I think there's always going to be room for both of those categories that you described mm. the people that particularly in the workplace they can go in and they can be the the person that just punches in the payroll and is is very good at at numbers and structure and we kind of need those people because if everyone's doing what they're passionate about there's probably no one in finance yeah. <laughs> there's probably no one in law and you know all these different things yeah and so we, we are going to need people that aren't using the workplace to fulfill their passion. So I guess the question becomes, how do we get those people to actually identify what their true passion is so that we can set them up for success mm. and maybe change the workplace so that we know that that's not their why, but mm. we can help them get home earlier to their kids because their kids are their why. And so I think there's room for both. You know, I've found my one, which is to write. Like I said before, I can honestly sit in front of a, a computer screen and write. 
for hours at a time, days at a time, and not yeah. get bored. And and so I like doing that. So, um, yeah, I, I think the answer is is for us that we need to acknowledge that we need both. And we can't have a society where everyone's just doing what they want or what they're passionate about. I, I don't. I think the whole thing would fall over. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I totally agree. And uh, and somebody that uh, we mentioned before we hit record, uh, Dov Barron, he has mm-hmm. a great quote. I brought it up here. It's uh, your passion is not your purpose. Your passion is the vehicle that transports your purpose. Your purpose has always been with you. Your passion is found in your joy. Your purpose is found in your pain. And it's like, I feel like when you view it in like that sort of like vehicle mentality of like, this is not the only thing that you're going to be doing for like the rest of your life. Right. And that's okay. You begin to open up like these other corridors of life and of your passion and of your purpose. Um, And so I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned like, you mentioned that example of, letting that person leave work early so they can go hang out with their kids. How do you, how have you sort of navigated and oriented yourself as, you know, an author, somebody, you know, who has a very, very, um, um, involved position at a, you know, national team, a podcaster, your husband, I'm sure you do like 10 other different things. I'm curious, like, do you ever think about, balance in like that sort of stereotypical way or anything at all yeah i was just on a a podcast recently about that idea of work-life balance Mm. and it's a really interesting philosophy Mm. uh jeff way is is his name and and he calls it perfect imbalance and it's essentially this idea that you know we look at it in terms of balance within a one-week period Mm. and what that means you know Whereas if you extend that out and, and understand that you're going to go up and down, so you might work 60 hours a week for a particular project mm. and so you don't see your wife, but then you can compensate later on and work less and see your wife more. And, and you know over a longer period of time, things will balance out. Mm. I, I think that's closer to the mark because this idea of like work-life balance being that you can go home at four o'clock instead of five o'clock, mm. that's not really true. And it doesn't, I don't think it adds to wellness. Mm. Whereas I think if, yeah, if we can acknowledge that there are going to be times of hard work, less work, vacation, you know, dedicated family time, whatever, you know, going to the gym, whatever it may be, mm. I think we need to extend the time period out mm. that we're judging that by. Because I think that helps us on a personal level too. Because mm. you don't get so down on yourself when you haven't gone to the gym for one week. Mm. One week out of 52 sounds a lot better than you know one week out of two weeks. Mm. So I think it helps manage that, um, that timeline. But again, we're not... We're not necessarily very good at at uh, looking at things on a whole year yeah. perspective, um, but I think we need if we can start to move the context a little bit that way. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of subscribe to that idea. I, I really like Jeff's concept around mm. that. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. And yeah, man, the like the the human mind and how it perceives time is 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 crazy, right? Um, and I'm not, I'm not good at it. 
like I I'm terrible at at managing those ups and downs and mm. celebrating my wins and like most of the stuff that I talk about I'm actually really bad at. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I yeah, yeah I really struggle to 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 have that own context on myself. But um, I'm working on that. Hundred percent, man. And and yeah. it's like, dude, the reason why I have. You know, the reason why I'm doing everything I'm doing and I, I have a podcast around like self-development stuff because because like I, I literally suck at it. it. I yeah. suck at it. And yeah. it's like I literally needed to put myself in the system where I'm always doing it or else like I'm a total sort of mess. And like in terms of time, it's just it's super fascinating. I like a micro level of sometimes I'll be you know, doing X, Y, and Z in my life. And then maybe I'll think of something or something that, you know, something negative will happen. And then all of a sudden it like, I've definitely gotten better about it now. It like my mind starts to like go into like this trail and like into this pattern. And then I'll like just sort of catch myself if I get lucky enough and I'll be like, whoa, what, what was that? And it's almost like my mind like opened up like an, I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but it almost opened up like an entirely different, like this portal of time where it's like when you're in that moment where you're thinking about all like the horrible things that could or could not happen, <laughs> it almost seems like you're in this moment that is forever. Yeah. And it's like, that is oftentimes what causes a ton of pain because you think whatever is going on now or whatever you're feeling, this is the way that it's going to be sort right. of forever. Forever. Yeah. Um, that's super fascinating. And um, I interviewed this, uh, this billionaire from Boston, uh, founder of Kayak, and mm-hmm. he was telling me that, you know, what you said about sort of like breaking it down and sort of like scheduling it out. He was telling me that, um, I think he said he does it on either a week, a weekly basis or a two week basis, but like, you know, he's a very busy guy. He does things in so many different buckets and business. Um, and so he'll sort of like color code his calendar and he'll say, okay, family time here, uh, you know, we'll go to the gym here, meditate here, do yeah. this time here in the next two weeks. And it's like, when you, when you're able to, I think, um, use technology in a positive manner to just sort of like sort out logistics, yeah. it can, you know, free up a lot of your cognitive load and it can just get you to, you know, you drop in, you're ready to focus, you're ready to hit this, your mind isn't buzzing yeah. in a ton of different places. So do you calendar everything? I'm interested because I, I watch you very closely on this. You, you calendar absolutely everything? Okay, not absolutely everything, but I will say that um, the way that I used to structure it would be like, a, like what I have to do is like a to-do list or like a note app on my phone. And I still sometimes do that. But what I began to realize is... Um, you know, I actually do that, um, not necessarily to like build in balance because I feel like I'm sort of naturally good at that or maybe maybe I'm not and maybe my, you know, my mind is just telling me that I am. Yeah. Um, maybe got to get a little bit more self-aware. But I honestly do that because I found that if I know like tomorrow I'm going to wake up at this time, go to the gym at this time, stretch for this time. Uh, go to this, you know, talk to this person for this time, have this meeting, go for a walk at this time, eat lunch at this time, do the X, Y, and Z. I find that it like, it's sort of able to like ease my anxiety yep. and it's able for me to 
I step into a meeting or I step into something and like that is the only thing that exists for that time and I'm not thinking about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Does that makes sense. Yeah. I, I love that. I've been exactly the same. It's something that's helped me. I, I don't think I've quite nailed it. But for instance, mm-hmm. this week, this week I've been up at you know, 5.55 every morning and been in the gym. We're sitting just uh, in the library that's next to my gym in my apartment building. So I work out, you know, six to seven, go home, write for an hour mm-hmm. and then, you know, go onto a client site and, and um, in the office. And so, you know, I've already basically ticked off most of what I want to get out other than hanging out with my wife. But mm. now when I come home in the afternoons, that's the time for her and, mm. and we get to hang out. So, um, yeah, I've gotten a lot better at that. I was really skeptical of calendaring everything, <laughs> but it's really helped a lot. And I think that what I want to add into it is um, almost deliberate time to be unintentional. Mm. Yeah. And so it's kind of that idea of, it was one of the first things you you talked about was being intentional and I'm really big on that at the moment. And Mm. and that includes, you know what, if, if I'm hung over on the couch, I'm going to be intentional about being hung over on the couch. I'm going to eat the Doritos and (laughs) and just, and step into it knowing that there's, there's going to be that, that fallback Mm. on on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and you're back in the gym and you're back into your routine. Mm rather than getting down on yourself because mm. you had too many drinks or whatever it is, you're too tired. I think, yeah, that's the next level for me is, is I'm intentional, but then there's also time and space to be unintentional and just be mindless and, mm. and watch Netflix. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I think that's like super, super uh, needed. And um, that's super interesting what you said about fallback. So I'm curious, like... Why? Like, why do you let yourself um, fall back? Because this might sound a little bit screwed up, but um, sometimes, like, I will, uh, um, you know, have my own fallback moments, periods. And, dude, there's a part of my mind that says, like, sort of get up. Go, you know, you know, go do the, the right or whatever that is. Yeah. But then there's another part of my mind, but I'm just, I'm curious to, to hear your perspective on it. This might be a little bit screwed up, but it says like, dude, you're way too successful. <laughs> you, you've got to like loosen up. You've got to, uh, <laughs> you've got to almost like, you've got to let yourself like almost like eat dirt to like almost shift your perspective to then be able at a later time go a hundred percent in this mode. I'm, I know it's like a weird, but do you ever think about that or anything comes to mind? Yeah. And, and that's, what, that's what I mean. I think, mm, I, I okay. think cause we're, we're human beings and we're complex mm. and, and what we've just talked about, we're literally talking about calendaring every second of your day and we're not designed for that necessarily. And mm. so you need that downtime and that time to, Maybe it's just think on those <laughs> morbid thoughts that you might have. Right. You know, you know. I, I listen to the, the the conversation and the narratives around mindfulness and meditation, and a lot of it talks about trying to get rid of those things. Those things are there, and so my interpretation of it is there needs to be time and space 
and not necessarily too much time and space, right. but to recognize those thoughts and the fact that those thoughts are there. Mm-hmm. And if we're just robotically going through our day, going meeting to meeting and then going home and, and you know, going to bed and then getting up and repeating that time. And I, I think that's a recipe for disaster because that's going to bubble up at some stage. And so I think that's what I mean. Yeah. However different people do that is, mm-hmm. is up to them. But yeah, this kind of just, um, you know, mechanical one, two, three, four, five way of doing life isn't going to work for human beings because we're yeah. not, we're way too complex for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I almost feel like you, you really need those down moments because, you know, without them, you're almost sort of like half pregnant in a way. So like meaning of like, you know, if you were hung over on the couch but then you're like, yo, I'm going to get up and like go to the gym or I'm going to go like that. You're, you're almost like in between like these two different almost like worlds. Yeah. But I feel like you almost need to get immersed entirely by something yeah. to sort of like shift your perspective on it. And I'll tell you from personal experience, not every time, but a lot of those times where I say, screw this <laughs> or like, you know, they, like this this thing for like the next three hours, like screw it. Yeah. Um, maybe even like a very negative time. It's led me to a lot of uh, like great new things that I probably would not be doing if I was intentionally, you know, putting in the calendar too. Um, but then again, like, you know, you and I are both like pretty uh, successful, you know, people fairly organized. Um, and so it's like, if I was like somebody listening to this that did not intentionally schedule in time in their calendar has like nothing, no routine or nothing, then you may need to do like the opposite and like maybe get a little bit more intentional about how you spend your time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you know, in terms of spending your time, you know, you've talked a ton about like writing and it's honestly pretty interesting and, and you know, very curious to hear that writing is like your 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 why, like your purpose. Like that's that's very fascinating. Um, and so I really want to ask you about like the frame of mind that you try to enter in when you write, if it's intentional. Like I know um, I, I interviewed this guy Chip Conley. He mm-hmm. says that he writes in the morning and he mm-hmm. he get he like does it after he goes for a run on the beach because he gets the I think his his quote is uh gets the downloads from the heavens. <laughs> and yep. so I'm curious like and like you know you said after you work out you write in the morning. I'm curious like what's like your do you have like a protocol? Do you have an intention for it? Do you have like a mind space that you try to get into? How do you think about the way that you write? Yeah, I I become better at being structured around that and I do my best writing in the morning but I'm sporadically inspired so my subconscious is the most powerful tool I have Hmm. and so my best ideas come from the mindlessness Hmm. so it comes from walking down the street standing on the subway platform in the shower on the treadmill out for a run Hmm. out in nature and so I have, yeah, I have my morning structure. So I'll write between seven and eight in the morning and then spend some time with my wife. Um, but yeah, if, if something strikes me at eight o'clock at night when I'm in the shower and kind of ramping down my day, I can't go to bed until I've got that idea out of my head. Really? So when, when the inspiration strikes, 
I, I have to write it down. I'll stay up until 1am if I have to, to, mm. to get that down and get it right. So yeah, I'm a really sporadic writer in terms of that. And I've never really worked out, you know, working for magazines or websites where I've got, you know, you have to produce this by this time. Mm. My best work comes all over the place. Mm. And yeah, so it's, and I really struggle to write when it's not good. Mm. And so I would struggle I writing a daily article or something like that mm. just because I wouldn't be happy with the outcome. Mm. But yeah, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to cover both bases. Mm. Whenever the inspiration comes, I've, I've got a mechanism for that. But at the same time, I know my best, my best structured work and editing and things like that is in the morning. Mm. Mm. So I, I'd like to do more of that, um, you know, as I continue to, to move through and, and try and get closer to just being an author full time. Yeah. 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 You definitely find for me the best time to write is uh, either like kind of early morning or like late night. Yeah. Like I find like those two times, at least for me, is sort of where like my mind is in a different um, mode. Uh, it's in a different sort of state of mind where it's either maybe it is like my subconscious from, from, from what I've been doing or like just the random thoughts that I've, I'm done. Like, like I can't even tell you how many, like, like notes I have on my phone of just like me walking down the stream, like, oh, and yeah. then like you know the next day. Sometimes it'll happen like six times in a day. Sometimes it'll happen zero. Yeah. Um, and like maybe somewhat related to this is um, when I interviewed uh, Seth Godin, I ended up asking him because he has a daily blog ish mm-hmm. now. And I asked him, like, w- like, what has that done to, like, your, your brain? And he, and he told me that it, like, it, it, it gets him in this mode where he's, like, always thinking. His brain is always trying to conceptualize ideas. It's always trying to, like, think about it. And I feel like um, there can definitely be a point to, like, what you said where it gets, like, maybe too routine and the creati- creativity gets, you know, sacrificed or gets compromised and you're not actually... Yeah. doing it for actually doing it but you're doing it for like this you know like this um submitting to an article or you want to get more views on linkedin or you know what i mean like whatever yeah. it is yeah um but yeah that's uh, that's super interesting so i had dan pink on my podcast and well and, and he was talking about a, a similar kind of thing obviously his latest book is when and yeah. he dives into the time of everything and people's chronotypes and when when work is best done throughout the day and you know the fact that there are particular there there are morning people there are night owls you know Mm. that is a thing and and when people do work is important and you know how the traditional nine to five work day doesn't suit certain portions it it certainly suits the mass Mm. you know the 80 percent of people or 75 percent of people but there are people that are going to fall outside of that and and maybe be more creative at 10 o'clock at night and that's actually the best time and so yeah I, since having that conversation with him I've really paid attention to myself mm. and yeah when certain things happen in mm. the day mm. just so I can start to you know diarize and monitor and, and see where I can make not corrections but where I might be able to get some more you know effectiveness mm. Just to see, more than anything, I'm, yeah. I don't want to be a, a human guinea pig like Tim right. Ferriss, but <laughs> but I'm just interested in what happens to me. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, the next you know five years, I'll I'll be able to build that out and, and look back and and that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's so awesome that you got to interview uh, Dan Pink. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. And um, and 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 you know you you mentioned at the beginning of this interview of um, you know taking a look at the literature that you know you've you've read and you've learned from and you you know you mentioned like Adam Grant it must be pretty awesome to then have them on your podcast yeah it was very <laughs> it was very cool and the you know the story of of the podcast i i fought doing it i didn't want to do it mm. i didn't want to be a podcaster you know i'm i'm, I'm on this path to to try and be a an author mm. like someone like Dan Pink and um, so I thought doing the podcast and then came back from my wedding actually and just had this concept in my head f- for the show where I was on and it was a little bit different you know I usually have two guests per episode it's just a little bit more like a panel at a conference and I wanted to launch it all Netflix style so I decided that I was going to stockpile all of my episodes for the first season there was 14 in the end it was meant to be 15 and release them on the same day so mm. what that means is that I don't have anything to show anyone. Mm. So when I contacted Adam to say, can you come on my podcast that doesn't exist yet? You know, that was, it was a, a risk obviously. And, and, um, but thankfully I, I was able to, you know, attract another, uh, enough other, you know, high profile people and, and worthwhile people for him to get involved in the project. So it, it was very cool. And, and like you, for me, that's it's a it's such a great learning experience to be able to talk to people about what they're passionate about and pick up little things along the way and start to implement them in in what you're doing Mm. and so to speak to the the people that like me think about leadership and and culture and teams to the level that i do is so cool to me so yeah Yeah. it's uh, it's a blessing for sure yeah yeah it's definitely an um and uh, yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's like um, like if there's a person who I've uh, like learned from a ton, like maybe I read their book when I was like a kid, and like then I finally meet them, and it's like the it's like such a weird sort of surreal experience where you're almost like stepping into like a dream, and then after it's over, you're like, oh wait, wait, <laughs> like what just happened? Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's so crazy, man. And so sort of based on what you said about like fighting the idea of starting a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. I don't really do this, but I want to, I don't know who said this quote, but I just want to know, I just want to get your thoughts on this quote. And it's, do people have ideas or do ideas have people? Anything comes to mind? Hmm. (laughs) I would say, I'd say ideas have people. Hmm. I'm not sure why. Yeah. But that's just my initial reaction. Yeah. And I think it's, probably up to the people to find those ideas rather than the other way around hmm. but yeah. I, yeah, I think there are certain people that are supposed to do certain things hmm. and it's probably what we see as as success hmm. to a certain extent hmm. or celebrity or whatever you want to call it hmm. that's my yeah you know five my five second <laughs> uh, response to, to that but yeah I, I really like that you know I'm going to text you about that next week and you're like, man, I'm still thinking about that damn question. Yeah, I mean, it's like, like, yeah, I, and I ask that question not to necessarily like, 
is it one or the other? But it's like more or less like the way that I've begun to think about it is like obviously you know you know humans are, are individuals and they're sort of like their own being. But you know we're all like you said we're also like a lot more complex than than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And the way that I've begun to think about it is like the same way that like if you look at um, I don't know like chemistry or physics and you see how like these atoms like assemble and they have like this certain polarity I almost sort of view like there are certain forces in the world where it's almost like humans are getting together almost sort of like an ant colony and it's like this like very very large system that is not necessarily like autonomous but it is heavily interconnected and like there's all these different pieces and then like 10 years down the road or five years down the road they were like oh okay like you know we have this hindsight and um yeah i don't know that's just something that i think about a lot it's yeah. interesting yeah it is <laughs> how i'm interested to ask you yeah how is your idea of or your perception of success changed since doing your podcast um so you know you you get into close quarters with people that the the world views as successful in their own industries, business or sports or, you know, uh, writing. Did you think one particular thing when you started and then now that you're in close quarters with these people, you see, you know, maybe that they are a little bit, uh, say, deserving or that it, it kind of, the, the sum makes sense when you, when you actually get to speak to these people in terms of why they're successful? But yeah, so how, how has it changed for you? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. So, um, so my, my very, very early in life, my definition of success was, um, like I think what most people think, money, um, you know, whatever, pr- property, this, yeah. in order to have like a sense of security, in order to, um, like I thought that, oh, you know, once you make like this certain amount of money, even once you like, you know, get married, have a dog, have a house, then, you know, like you'll get to like this fantasy land where just problems don't exist. I thought that too. Yeah, same. And, um, and then like, as I got older and I sort of like fell down like this, uh, depressive suicidal sort of, uh, state where I was over 200 pounds, I began to realize that, um, that like success is something that, so I definitely think there are universal components to success. For example, like taking care of your health, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, making sure that, uh, I don't know, like you're, you know, you're drinking enough water. Like there's certain things that I think are like universal, but what I've also begun to realize, man, is like, I think it's all about presence. It's all about energy. Mm-hmm. You know, when I step into a room with somebody, okay, this might sound really bad, but, um, even before they talk, you can almost sort of like get what they're about, what their entire presence is about, mm-hmm. whether they're doing this for, mm-hmm. you know, um, for real sort of uh, like straight up pure intentions versus somebody who, um, you know, is just sort of like following on like this default path of what somebody else told them to do. And that's what success is. Yeah. And so like, you know, like when I begin to interview people, like for example, somebody that really sticks out, um, 
Naveen Jain. Yeah. He's like this, you know, very, has a ton of success in many different industries, has, you know, amassed tons and tons of money. It's like when you get to like step in the presence of like that guy, it's almost, it's like this weird feeling of, um, of almost like they are you. Mm-hmm. in a way even though like obviously like we have a lot of differences like and that's and that's a good thing and we're totally different people but in a sense it's like each person's story like you know that success that should almost sort of be like your story mm-hmm. like my story is everybody else's story mm-hmm. and it's like this pattern it's like this um like if you follow the work of uh joseph campbell he calls it like uh like the hero's journey right and like that's really led me to like thinking like success is just like at least in my head it's it's like the best sort of like it's like the best like movie you could possibly create yeah. in the sense of like um like I posted this on my Instagram a few days ago of like I think it was yesterday actually it was <laughs> it was um I asked people you know what's crazy in 15 years from now like my future kids Whatever you know, whatever internet and technology platforms are out there, they'll probably still be able to like look at what I posted on like LinkedIn or what I posted on my podcast or what I posted on my Instagram story for today. And it's like when you can uh, think about that, it just like totally shifts your perspective and it makes you think not in like these sort of facets, which I think we talked about at the beginning of like success and failure of like, okay, I'm going to like do this podcast or I'm going to start this business and it's going to win. But then you just start to look at it as almost like this, like this, like this orchestra and like there's going to be mess ups, but those mess ups are like almost even required for you to like become the person that you want to be. And so honestly, it's like my definition of success Like all the people that I interview, they're all different in their own ways, but mm-hmm. at the same time, they're all the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man. And, and, and it's like when, you, when we begin to talk about this stuff, um, there's, there's like a lot of uh, like, uh, like lessons, like key value things to each individual that just like may stick out of something that was wicked beneficial. And, and each person has that. And so the question I'm going to ask you, and this is either going to be a great question or not, but, um, <laughs> so you don't have kids yet. No. I don't know if you are planning to or, you know, wherever, but I'm curious, like one day, if you have kids, what are like, what are like the fundamentals that you would want that other human being to maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe embrace, maybe, um, to teach them when they're growing up? Yeah, the way I've looked at my journey so far, I think the thing that I would want to pass on is, <laughs> funnily enough, it's it's kind of that idea behind where others won't. It's like, you know, if you're ambitious and you want to get ahead, you can't be in the middle. Mm. And, you know, talking of success, no one that's successful is sitting in the middle, no. not doing what other people are. They're doing extraordinary things and they're doing things often in the periphery for quite some time Mm. before they kind of hit success. Mm. And so I think that would be my message to pass on and 
and that's to the broader world is you know you you have to be comfortable being in the margins mm. if you really want to get ahead mm. and and i think that's been my big finding over the last three years since you know obviously i've studied a little bit and studied competitive advantage particularly in sports and in business but i think it's a life philosophy as well mm. you have to be willing to whether it's eat shit or whether it's code in some new language or like Gary talks about go on some new social media platform before anyone's on it and try to learn it and dominate it or whatever it is like the the world it's not like the population is going to go down <laughs> right as far as we can tell it's yeah. going to continue to increase and it's going to continue to become more competitive mm. so with that said you've got to play around in the margins more and, and be willing to take risks if you do want to get ahead. If you're happy in the middle, again, we're going to need people in the middle. But right. it's, so, it's, so, uh, it's so dangerous to play in the margins. It's so seemingly dangerous. To play. And I, I would even say it is, right? Because it's like, um, I, I was just having a conversation about this with my friend and it's like, the people who are on you know, the, the edge, the, the fringe... I mean, dude, it's uh, it can be very, very, very challenging. It can even be scary, right? Sure. And it's like if you are facing those lows and those highs of being somebody who's on the forefront, I mean, that can be super, super difficult, especially if you're not used to that. And you sort of like look at this um, – maybe – like this different world from like an outsider's perspective. Um, and it's like, but I think, but I think what people like you and I both know is that even though it is risky, even though it is more challenging, even though it may be harder than being in the middle, it's more fulfilling. It's more rewarding. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, it doesn't need to be everything. It can be one thing. Mm. You know, in your, in your whole life, it, it you can exist in the middle. You can drive at the speed limit with your seatbelt on, and and you know, have the two kids and the house, and do everything that everyone else does. But the thing that you're ambitious about it might be writing, it might be podcasting, it might be flying planes, whatever it is. But there's going to be something that you know. I believe that everyone has some sort of world-class ability in them. And if, mm. once you've found it, don't waste that. Because mm. it's real easy to be ordinary. But if you've got something special, mm. and I firmly believe that everyone does, like go after that. And mm. I'm sitting here, you know, earlier we talked about, I think I was probably 32 before I found that. Mm. So now I'm loading up on that for the rest of my life. And yeah. so I, you know, if I live... I know you want to live past a hundred, so do I. So, <laughs> gives me that gives me another sixty-five years to to be world class. But it's going to be doing it the, a way that no one else is doing it. The um, Cody Royal way, exactly. Because that's yeah, that's kind of what you got to do. And and yeah, my the, how I picture this in my head, and this is I guess a, maybe a nice bow on it, but. When I do pass away, I, I want to be on the front page. Like I don't want to be in the obituaries with everyone else. I think if I can have enough of an impact on other people, you go onto the front page. 100%. And so that's kind of the, the 
whether that happens or not, I don't really care. But that's the the idea, the mental picture that I've painted in my head is like if you can have this impact, people will care and they'll respond with your photo on the front page versus with everyone else at the back. Yeah. So hopefully that's a I know it's a bit of a morbid message to end with, but no. that's kind of how I've pictured it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, two things. I definitely want to live past a hundred. Talking about like, I'm I'm a little bit crazy, so I think like five hundred, even up to like a thousand, like some crazy stuff. We'll definitely talk about it after. Go for it. Um, but um, what was I about to say? Uh, so somebody asked me pretty recently. Um, they said, "So Mark, like, when are you gonna stop doing this?" And I told them, "When I can get in front of seven point eight or whatever the number is, billion people." Right. And it's just like. Um, Mark Manson and I talked about this. It's this concept of like, it sounds a bit vain, but it's like we we want to create this artifact, this thing in the world that never dies, that is still a part of us. Mm-hmm. Meaning of like a book, a statue, uh, you know, a podcast, like all these structures, all these things that we create that people can access, whether we're here or not mm-hmm. and like that's a very very um it's a very very like strange but also can be unbelievably uh, a powerful concept and like i um every day on my phone i have uh i have uh, uh two reminders that go off at noon and at four reminding me that i'm gonna die mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah i mean that can definitely get a little bit too intense sometimes but <laughs> um that always just shifts my my perspective because it's like sometimes I catch myself not always 100% thinking in like, you know, I'm going to impact like all these people and I don't, you know, I don't know, I, I haven't really experienced 100% of that. Um, but it can, de- it definitely like shifts my mindset towards that for sure. Um, so yeah, man. And so like as we wrap up here, um, what would you say to... Uh, the 21-year-old version of Cody? Hmm. <laughs> or would you maybe show him or, or, or commun- anything that you could potentially communicate to him? Um, I actually wouldn't say anything. I'm going to go off the board here. I know a lot of people want to pass on advice to hmm. their past selves. I'm perfectly fine and happy with my actions and experiences and and lessons and and screw ups and and successes Mm. and i'm happy with who i am today and that's all i can really control and so for me to be able to get here talking to you which is awesome and you know you've flown in from boston and we're sitting here in toronto and and getting to to meet in person and i couldn't have done that without what 21 year old Cody was up to 100%. and so I don't want to change anything I'm I'm really happy happiest I've ever been and um, so yeah I, I know the answer is usually to create some sort of life altering advice hmm. but I'm happy with my life and so if that's the case then yeah the butterfly effect says that I shouldn't change anything hmm. back when I was 21 yeah and um, yeah so I'm going off the board yeah Dude, I think that's a golden answer. And uh, 
I think mine would be a little bit similar, but whenever I get this, I always just say like, I would want to tell like the 10 year old or the, you know, whatever the version question is for me. Yeah. I would just want to tell him like, dude, I'm so proud of you. That's it. Right. You know, and let whatever, you know, things happen because it's about like that, you know, that movie or that book or however, you know, the way that you view your life, all those, um, you know, all those moments are, uh, are needed to, to take you where you are today. Regrets suck, man. Having regrets about something you've done in the past. And I know there's some, you know, people have done some pretty heavy shit, but, um, yeah, you're right. It's your life journey. You know, if you're making a movie, then, um, yeah, it's, uh, try to get past that regret and, and live in the moment. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, um, sorry I'm just uh, like uh, I'm trying to like wrap up here but there's like so many different things in terms of regret I am when I think back at it now uh, the time when I was at my darkest I had so many regrets about my life because I was sort of like waking up like coming into consciousness of like what just happened like the last 18 years Mm -hmm. and I was like oh I didn't do this I I you know I didn't do that I didn't go to my prom I didn't play on this I didn't do that I didn't do that but you know what I realized? I realized that the reason why I was having those regrets was because I was the way that my story was constructed was I was a prisoner of my past in the sense of like yeah. everything that I had to do now was based off the story that I had built myself in my head. And I couldn't take a different behavior or a different action because I had this evidence of the story that I had going on in my head. But then once I sort of like began like a new path consciously creating, I realized that whatever my perspective was on regrets, like they're, they're gone. Like that doesn't matter. That was a different person almost, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's good that you go past that because I know a lot of people don't. Mm. And they're just, yeah, they're anchored to something, whatever mm. that is. So it's an event or a, a period in time. But, um, yeah, I'm the same. It's actually really sharpened my focus on being extraordinary, like I talked about earlier, mm. in terms of, yeah, not, not wasting time right now mm. so that I can hopefully achieve that goal and just and not have any regrets because you, you kind of get closer to uh, what you think you deserve. Mm. 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 Dude, Cody, I just want to say, man, when I was first starting my podcast... Um, uh, I really started it to like get uh, not like-minded people because I there people that are you know different-minded and that's a great thing. That's who I'm trying to learn from. Right. But I really started it to um, to get around people that were just like you, and like the fact that I can um, sit here like almost two years later now from the time when I got the idea running in the woods and I tried to fight it and you know, like this sort of a similar thing. Subconscious. Exactly. Um, it's just crazy and it's crazy to where it's taken me. And, um, you man are, you were definitely a human 2.0. This was, uh, this was such an honor, man. And I look forward to, um, doing many future, hopefully collaborations and, and projects and just trying to, um, you know, like both you and I, we're both very different, but we're sort of, I mean, maybe based on me, just similar like wavelength and like the kind of impact we want to have. It's like, 
you know, the world, you know, needs people like us to take a step forward and do what we got to do, man. So, um, thank you for being a human 2.0. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on and thanks for coming to Toronto and to my, uh, apartment here and, um, the library in the library. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I would mirror that. I, um, I appreciate the kind words and, and, uh, reciprocal, you know, I, I named the podcast episode for you, the, the future of leadership. And it's cause I, I admire you and, and what you're doing. And I would just say to, to keep doing it cause you are having an impact and you won't always see it, but, um, you're showing up for a lot of people and, and so keep inspiring, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And so, uh, the last thing that I do here is I usually close off with, uh, the guest leaving, um, some sort of, a. Uh, a self-inquisitive question because I found that um, depending on where you are in your life and depending on your perspective, like everything, questions can be a very powerful, um, like a cognitive tool to sort of maybe open up different paths, different doors in your mind. And so I would love it if you could either leave the audience some sort of a, a question to sort of, you know, ask themselves through the rest of their day or whenever they're listening to this or, and, and, or, um, uh, some kind of like a, maybe like an exercise or some kind of like an activity, something that, um, you know, that, you know, you've had people do this and you've seen like powerful results, but any, anything that comes to mind? I would say that the question really for me you know we've talked about doing doing things that that we love and we're passionate about i would say you know the the soul searching question for me is with every activity that i i do or have done is like do i really want to be doing this and so i i think in terms of a self-awareness question for people to ask themselves is like yeah go through your day and do I really want to be doing this? And that's helped me a lot. It's helped me get rid of things. It's helped me keep things in my life and really sharpened my focus. And I I think it can do the same for people if you're honest. Mm. And it's okay to say that you don't want to go to dinner with your in-laws, you know, every Sunday. But I think acknowledging that that's one thing that you have to do, but you don't want to do. Mm. I think that's a really healthy process to go through and, Mm and look at everything in your life and, um, and start to move closer to, you know, that kind of 2.0 version of yourself where you're right. doing what you're good at and passionate about, but you got to start with, do I really want to do this? And, you know, feel in your heart of hearts, you know, whether that's the case or not. Yeah. And it's okay if it's okay if you're not doing, uh, what you want, but, um, the sixth time, <laughs> Uh, but at least ask the question and and be honest with yourself Uh, it's been transformational for me honesty is always the best policy especially with yourself 100 percent um so you've got an awesome podcast where others won't we did an episode um you have so many other episodes uh you're trying to be a disruptor in the podcast game um where other than the podcast where can people like learn more about you maybe connect with you yeah everything's on codyroyal.com 
okay. including links to the podcast and who's on it and the book and my speaking and my newsletter and, and everything's centralized there. Uh, my email's on there, my Twitter, my LinkedIn, everywhere that I'm active. So yeah, codyroyal.com, all centralized for you. Woo! Awesome. Dude, <laughs> Cody. Thanks so much, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. This has been your host, Mark Matry. Damn, you made it till the end of the podcast. That's really rare in the age of digital distraction. This really means the world to me. I really hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to hop on over to my website, Mark Metry, or message me on social media. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. My name is Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you learned in this episode and I'll be sure to get in touch with you and if you really really love the podcast I'd highly appreciate it if you went on iTunes right now and left me a review it helps way more than you know let's get this humans 2.0 grassroots movement going Woo! get out there and do something impactful today